Hello, guys. Welcome to our very first episode. My name is Pa, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, my name is um, AJ. Where, uh, this is our very first episode, and I'm very excited to talk about the financial independence uh, journey on this podcast. Yes, just like uh, my co-host said, AJ, we're here to um, talk about our financial journey um, in terms of financial independence. And we're here to tell you why you should join us and pursue financial independence. In order to achieve financial independence, there are a lot of things that need to be in place. We are here to tell you some of the things that we are doing to achieve financial independence. And I'll pass it on to my co-host, AJ, and then he will tell you a little bit more about what is FI and um, how to achieve FI. Yeah, FI. Um, this is really an exciting topic for me um, that I'm really excited to talk to the people about um, the financial independence and our journey uh, to financial independence. So what is financial independence? Um, a lot of people say FIRE, F-I-R-E which is the acronym for financial independence, retire early. Um, and some people just say FI, F-I, which is uh, financial independence. Best definition I have for financial independence would be Jim Rohn's definition is the ability to live on the income of your personal resources. That's when you get to know uh, that you are on FI, which is financial independence. So we're here to tackle those information. We're here, we're excited to uh, talk to you guys about our journey and uh, the little things that we're doing. It's basically, this podcast is basically to optimize your life and your money and make your money intentionally work for you so you can live, have a better life, basically. All right, sounds good. So now we'll just go ahead and get into it now. How do you achieve financial independence? You know, what are some of the things that you have to have in place in order to achieve financial independence. Some of the things that we have that we think that will help you in order to get to financial independence. Number one is do not overspend. You know how much you make and you should live your life based on the amount of money that you make. The other one is try to stay out of debt. That is another thing that if you wanna be financially independent, you have to stay out of debt. And this idea of living paycheck to paycheck, that is something that you have to get rid of. And I will let my co-host, you know, tackle the rest, but these are the three things that I think that if you can get this going, you should be financially independent. So yeah, this is a very interesting thing because when it comes to financial journey, we are all at different stages. And it's okay to start at a different stage than other people. Not everybody has the same starting spot, basically. So if you are at a point where in your life where you're spending more than you earn, so you are living in debt. So the basic of the financial independence is to look at your income and look at your expenses. And we're here to optimize that. Make sure you earn more and spend less and optimize the difference to to use that difference, you know, as your resources to build your financial life. So if you're starting at where you're spending more than you earn, that means you're in a perpetual state of debt, getting into debt every month. That's okay, but we're gonna here we we're here to help you get uh, to a point where you'll be stable. So at stability, you are living paycheck to paycheck. So you're starting from the bottom at getting at debt. Now you are living paycheck to paycheck. Your income and your expenses are exactly virtually the same. And then you want to move on to getting to a point where you have some savings, where you can you you earn more than you than you 
spend. So once you get to that point, you can use the difference to build wealth. And we're here to explore those options of how to use that difference, how to get from living paycheck to paycheck to where you have a financial uh, health and financial abundance. And that just brings me to the uh, point of um, what we call network. You know, what is, what is your network? You know, what is the meaning of network? Our definition of net worth is, it's just based on two things, assets and liabilities. What you own minus what you owe. If you own more than you owe, then you have a positive net worth. But if you owe more than you own, then you have a negative net worth. What does that mean? Let's say you own $10,000, but you owe somebody else like a credit card company $15,000. What does that mean? That means you have a negative net worth of $5,000. So I think that is something that people really need to pay attention to. And um, the definition of financial independence just comes down to that. What is it that you own and what is it that you owe? So that is something that I think that um, if people start paying attention to it, they will start building wealth much quicker and um, they will, that, that will get them to the journey of financial independence. And also the income gap, the gap between you know, income and expenses. That is something that I will just go ahead and let you tackle, um, AJ. Yeah, um, that's definitely right. I, I totally agree. And I'm really excited that you bring the um, net worth into this equation because basically that's where it lies. If you don't know your network, try to find, uh, try to calculate your network. Basically, Pi explained it right. If you owe more than you own, you are in negative. If you own more than you owe, you're in the positive network. Um, so, once you get to um, the income and expenses, you earn more and you're able to spend less, that difference, if it is $1,000, if it is $100, you can start with anything, but that's where we come in to uh, try to help you put that difference to work so that you can live uh, an intentionally financial life. And all of these things that we are saying, you know, we have been there before. You know, we have been at the bottom of the bottom. We've had negative networks. You know, we've had um, situations where um, emergencies come in and we will not be able to take care of these things. You know, our family, you know, we will be scared, you know, for our families and all of these things. So we are, uh, thankfully we are out of that stage right now. We are onto another stage. Uh, some of you who are in that stage right now, that's why we are here. We're here to help you tell you our stories of how we were able to get out of those things and that brings me to the next point, because before you get to financial independence, you have to be financially stable first. How do you get to that stability? One thing that I believe, you know, has helped me, and I'm sure AJ will agree to that also, is emergency fund. Having that emergency fund, building that emergency fund at the early stages, that helps you a lot. Because what does that give you? It gives you peace of mind. Because money doesn't make you happy. We all know that. And I also believe that being broke doesn't make you happy also. But at the same time, having that emergency fund in terms, uh, you know, whenever it rains, because it's not a matter of if it's going to rain. It's just when is it going to rain? So if it rains, you have that shelter to be able to um, help you with you and your family. What do you say to that, AJ? Um, yeah, I totally agree. Um, going back to a little bit to the network uh, part, this is our journey and we didn't get it all right. I did not get it all right. I was telling, I think I talked to you far about this before that when I first checked my net worth, 
it was negative nineteen thousand dollars. I was in the red. And it still now, makes me laugh. Whenever you say that, it makes me laugh. <laughs> I know it to dig myself out of negative nineteen thousand to where you have uh, multiple hundreds of thousands in net worth. That's a journey that I went through, and it starts with little steps. Start with doing little things. Right. Starts with paying off debt. Yes. Starts with finding out what to do right. with 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 the balance between my earning and my spending. I first tackle, you know, how do I reduce my expenses? Okay. And how do I earn more? Some of us, it's really hard to earn more because you are in a job where you get a salary, you get a regular paycheck, mm -hmm. but you can tackle spending less on so many different levels. So that's, that's, that's a journey that I took and give me um, to uh, a level where you get to where you have a peace of mind with an emergency fund at the bank, just in case you have you run into an emergency, you can tackle that, um, and it gives you a, a definitely a lot of peace of mind for having that money on the side. But to get to that level, you take little steps. If you can save a little bit, get to a thousand dollars as quickly as possible, tackle your debt, and move on to saving more and having that savings in the bank account, that would help you greatly. Right, definitely. Um, and you know, talking about reducing your expenses. We all know the biggest expense for most people is housing. Are you staying in a house that you cannot afford? That's, that's a good question that we should all ask ourselves. Are you driving a car that you cannot afford? Are you overspending on your credit card? These are all things that you have control over. They don't have control over you. You own your car. You control where you get to stay. If you are renting in a very high neighborhood and your income is struggling because of the rent, you have a choice. You can move out and go find somewhere that's more reasonable. If you're driving a very, very expensive car that is costing you a lot of money every month to pay, you have a choice. You can go ahead and downgrade. If you are overspending on anything else, that is up to you. You have a choice. So I think those are just some of the ways that you can decrease your expenses. If there's anything else you wanna to add to it, AJ? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you bring up the expensive, uh, expensive side of the equation because I feel like there's three things that people mostly, we all agree that there's three things that we spend. Those are the major things that we spend money on. One is housing. Where do you live? You know, housing, we all know housing could be expensive, but it's not, uh, it's still an option to choose where you live, either to have the biggest mortgage that the bank could allow you to do, or be intentional with it. And you know, number the, two, they give you that mortgage, right? Right. Yep. They will give you the big mortgage yeah. if you signed up for it. But you can also be intentional and say, this is my budget and this is what I want to spend, not just go all the way to the max where whatever they could approve you for. The number two is food. Food is another big, uh, big expense that we all know. But with little intention, with cooking more at home, eating out less, you can save a lot on your food budget. And the last one that people, most of us spend a lot on is transportation. Yes. What car you drive, you know, what type of, why, why you drive that car, what type of car, and all those kind of things, gas, maintenance, and all that stuff adds up on your expenses. And I'm glad you brought that, uh, those, those expenses part. Right, definitely. So next we will uh, move on to investing. This is a very broad topic. The things that we're going to be 
tackling here when it comes to um, investing is just the most common things that people have, which, which are like the 401ks, Roth IRAs, uh, having a brokerage account, um, health savings account, and all of these things. Most of us have 401ks. We work with um, employers that offer us 401ks. Now, do you know how much you are contributing in your 401k? Are you even contributing? When you say investing, Pa, um, I want you to start by explaining what you what what does that mean? What does that mean for you? A well, lot of people look at investing as either uh, buying stocks, right. or doing options, or doing foreign exchange trading. Right. What does that mean for you? Well, that's not what it means for me. Buy, buying stocks and you know foreign exchange, you know, and all of these things. I mean, those are for the sophisticated guys. I am not that sophisticated to be, you know, putting my money into, you know, those kind of things right at the second. Investing, what it means to me is just what we're talking about here. Something that can give me financial independence and, and, and the word that comes to mind is freedom. It, it brings me freedom, but the way I do it is something that is consistent. I am not looking for the hardest thing that's out there right now. So just because somebody says that, you know, this stock is hard right now, doesn't mean that I'm going to put all of my family savings into it. That's not what investing means to me. It means something consistent that I'm doing on a monthly basis or on a weekly basis, uh, something that you and I know as dollar cost averaging, mm -hmm. so putting our money in a consistent uh, investment every month in order to be able to, you know, reap the benefits of the market. So, so yeah, when we when it comes to investing, the first thing that comes to mind for me is where can one start? If you have no idea right. um, about investing, where can you start? Okay, so a lot of people talk about getting, buying stocks. Mm -hmm. You can buy, they call it equities. Yes. You can buy mutual funds. You can buy index funds. You can buy bonds. You can yeah. buy CDs. So all of these sophisticated uh, information comes to people and we don't know where to start. So I feel like for me, the basic thing is buy an index fund, a low cost index fund. So what is that? An index fund is a fund that has a lot of stocks in it and in that one bucket. And if you put your money in that index fund, basically you own a piece of each of the, those stocks that it has. Right. So one example is the S&P 500 index fund or uh, the total stock market index fund, yes. which is the VTSAX. These are low cost index funds that you can buy and own a whole bunch of stocks and it reduces your risk because if you, if you own one stock, if that stock goes down 20%, guess what? Your money goes down 20%. Yeah, but risky. if you own an index fund with 500 to a thousand stocks in it, if one stock goes down, it does not reduce it does not impact you that much because you got other stocks that are in this index one that are going up. That is true. So one thing that we will, um, I would like us to talk about is 401ks because that's, that's like the most common form of investment that most of us know. So um, it may have another name. Some people may um, have it as a 403b. So what is a 401k? Do you have a 401k? Are you investing in your 401k? What percentage of your money are you investing in your 401k? I mean, these are things that I would like us to um, just go ahead and tackle. So now let's say you work for an employer that offers you a 401k. How do you know if 
you are eligible for a 401k or whether they are automatically contributing for you because some employers do that now. The moment you start, they will start contributing maybe 3%, 7%, 8%. So how do you know all that? What you need to do is go to your human resource website or ask your supervisor, ask your manager, you know, ask some of your coworkers who are there. What is this company's 401k policies? You know, or even before you start, you can go to the HR website and, and do all of these things. So investing in 401k, which is the most common for all of us, is something that all of us need to know if our employers are putting any money in there for us. And you need to know what company they are using so that you can go to that company's website, create an account, and be able to have access to your 401k. What do you say to that, AJ? Well, I'm so glad that you brought up the uh, topic of 401k, but uh, on a larger scale, if you look at uh, 401k, you're also looking at uh, 43b, 457b, IRA, Roth IRA, all these stuff These uh, that sound so complicated, but it's really simple. These are all tax-deferred methods where the government lets you put in money that benefits you when it comes to taxes. So the first thing is if you have a 401k, if you don't know, ask your HR. If you do have it, try to invest at least to what your company matches. If your company doesn't match anything, what do you do then? For me, that would be uh, opening a Roth IRA. Yes. Starting with that uh, Roth IRA, which you can do on your own. So I think you can open a, a, a Roth IRA at a discount brokerage, either like Charles Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity. These are all discount brokerage, bro- brokerages that you have online, really nice online platforms that you can just easily open um, a Roth IRA in and start contributing to it. I mean, you were saying this term, Roth IRA, most people know only 401k. Can you give okay. them a definition of what Roth IRA means? Okay, so... Um, Roth IRA and traditional IRA are accounts that you can contribute to if you have earned income that gives you tax benefit. So the traditional IRA, you you contribute the pre-tax money to it and you don't get tax on the gains until you withdraw it. A Roth IRA, you contribute after-tax dollars that you, once you, ta- once you contribute that, it grows tax-free and you can withdraw it tax-free at retirement. So now when we talk about um, Roth IRAs and traditional IRAs, just like my man just talked about here right now, I mean, just like you said, traditional is something that you put before tax. Let's say you get paid $2,000 and you tell your employer or your brokerage account that you want 10% taken out of your paycheck to be um, move to your traditional IRA. Now, this 10% will be taken out before any taxes come out. So they will take $200 out of your 2000 that is your gross income, and then that will be put in the traditional IRA. And then after that, then they will tax you. But if you choose that you want to do a Roth IRA with that $2,000, the government will tax you first. And after they tax you, your take-home money that's where they're gonna take out the $200. So that's the difference between the Roth IRA and the traditional IRA, just like you said. But I mean, those are not the only things that are out there. There are so many other investment vehicles, but just to keep it simple, uh, we will just go ahead and um, stick to those things for right now. And 
you know, just make sure that um, you guys understand it, you know, as much as possible. Is, 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 is there anything else that you want to add to that? Yeah, um, in a summary, definitely these are all topics that we can actually go into this rabbit hole and uh, explore more in details. But just for the first episode, let's just say if you have a 401k with your employer, start contributing to it at least to the max. And after that, you can we can explore other options. But for right now, we encourage everyone to uh, at least contribute to the max of their 401k if they have it. Um, there's also other topics uh, when it comes to tax deferred uh, things like HSA and all this stuff that we would actually explore in more detail um, in the upcoming episodes. If this is very interesting to you, uh, look out for other episodes that are going to come in in the future that we would explore these in more details. So I want you to tackle the topic of uh, growing your wealth. Once you start investing it and you see your money is growing as the stock market is growing or how do you see that as, how do you explain to someone if they put money into an account at regular intervals and it grows to a certain amount with compound interest, how do you explain compound interest to anyone? Well, it all comes back to uh, what I was just telling you, consistently putting money into your account, which is the dollar cost averaging. It all comes down to that because there's something called timing the market, mm -hmm. you know, and there's something called dollar cost averaging. So mm -hmm. consistently putting that money into your account and it growing, meaning that it is compounding. Now, what that means is, let's say you put $100 in there. It grows about 10%. So that $100 will now be $110, mm. right? So now, you, now it grows another 10% again. So now you have that $110 has added another 10%. So it just keeps going like that. It just keeps going like that. That's why um, Albert Einstein calls it, uh, is it the eighth wonder or the ninth wonder of the world? One of those. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah. it's very, very um, interesting, you know, and there are a lot of calculators out there where you can go in, put in all your numbers, kind of estimate you know, what your return will be. The stock market uh, in its lifetime, it does return about 12%. But some people say that's a little too high. Some people go as low as about 8 or 9%. But it, mm -hmm. it, it all depends, you know, on how the market does, you know, but my, that is my definition of what investing is consistently putting money into an investment vehicle and let it grow. There's nothing like timing the market, you know, taking it out when, you know, the stock market goes down and going back in. It doesn't work like that. You have to be consistently investing and uh, with the hope that the stock market does good. And that is how you build wealth, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought it up. That's a pretty exciting topic. When I first found out about compound interest, it was amazing to just uh, know how it works. Like you said, just putting money consistently into the market, letting it sit there and grow. So over an investing lifetime, which could be 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, mm -hmm. this money compounds to big, which, is, which means that this money is earning money and that money is added to this principal, which is earning more money. And yeah. that money is added to the principal. So it just gets bigger and bigger. I, when, I, when I found out about compound interest, I was really excited about it. Yes, it is amazing. And compound interest, you know, usually works the most. Not during the first years of investing. It may look mm -hmm. very, very, very slow. Mm -hmm. But the more your money grows, the more 
I mean, that compound interest will start doing its magic. You know, let's say you've been investing for, um, how to call it, just like you said, 40 years. You know, by the time it reaches 20 years, 25 years, I mean, that money will just be growing like really fast. I think the, at that time, the money would be even growing faster than right. what you're even putting in there. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think this was an interesting topic to tackle. I know that nobody gets it right the first time. I didn't get it right. I did all kinds of mistakes in the books yes. when it comes to my financial journey. Um, and that's okay. Um, the best time to start was 20 years ago. Yes. But the next best time to start is right now. That's and right. I want to just have people to just look at your money, look at your finances. This podcast is here to explore how you can use, intentionally use your money to live a life that you want to live. All right. Well, that sounds good. I think that will be a wrap for now. We try to keep the episodes very short because I know you, we, we know you guys are busy, don't have that much time. So we're going to call it a wrap from here. We will see you on our next episode. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening.